It's the Sunday after Christmas, so um, we just grabbed videos from our old video collection. And I like that one. You can open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, or chapter 4, that's why. Okay, I'm going to tell you how tired I was. 3 o'clock Christmas Eve morning, woke up, tried to like squeeze in extra sleep, couldn't do it. Woke up early again on Christmas morning, and then uh, you could turn me down a little bit. Are we, we're streaming today, right? So I have to use a microphone? Okay, never mind. I was just going to start hollering. Um, and I was so tired yesterday. How many of you are just exhausted? Most tired Sunday. Next, I'm already canceling Sunday service next year. It's canceled, considered it, done, signed, delivered, deal, whatever today. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm so tired. I drank orange juice out of a bowl on accident, just from pure fatigue. Like my mom was looking at me weird, like, what are you doing? Because I had gone to get bowls for the kids throughout the day for different snacky things. So my default was like, just get it. And then the orange juice was right there for the non-alcoholic mimosas. And I just poured orange juice into a bowl because I wanted vitamin C. And then I looked at the bowl and I thought, this day needs to end. And then I drank it. You guys have, uh, anyone have any amazing Christmas stories? Because we're this chapel family, we're not chapel friends. Who, who has like an amazing Christmas story of something that went down at their house? Everyone that's here has presumably not been hospitalized. Did we have any hospitalizations this week leading up to Christmas other than my father-in-law? No. Okay, well, I'll... Oh. Oh. I don't know what they're doing that back there. Oh, did the thing freeze? Or you're just... Okay. Uh, my father-in-law went ice skating on Tuesday. Tuesday? Yeah. He's 78. Then he went visiting St. Joseph's on Tuesday night. <laughs> After he hit his head on the ice in St. Pete and drove over a bridge fully concussed with two of my children in the car. It's okay. It's not the two I love most. So um, We're in 1 John. If you haven't flipped there yet, you should flip there. First John, and I'm sitting down today. I'm tired. I got a hoodie on. It's a new hoodie from my favorite company. It's called American Tall. It's a company just for tall people, so that doesn't help any of you. Um, I'm just, oh, you got it. American Tall. Ed, me, you, and maybe Mike could hit up some American Tall. And the other guy, he's not, just not here right now, but we have one tall guy. He's a little bit taller than me. American Small? Yeah, that's called every store in the mall. Every store. There, anytime I borrow any clothes from you, like what is a gown on you is a shirt on me. What is a hat on you is a, is a, a Yiddish yarmulke on me. Okay? So we're going to pray. We're just going to study old school. Like we're sitting down. We're going to open the Bible. We're going to piece through some scripture this morning and let God change our hearts and our lives. Um, it was fun. Jesus Church wisely canceled their services today. That's their pastor, Nate, who was playing the guitar and singing over here with Ree. And he said, uh, yeah, we're going to cancel our services. And then he said, can we just join you guys? And I was thinking, none of your people are going to come. But some of them did come. And we're excited. So Chapel family, clap it up for Jesus Church people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why we put most of you in the back row. That shouldn't be your honored guests. You can sit in the front row because it's not Christmas Eve service where I turn someone into a Smurf, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I warned this guy so many times on Christmas Eve. I said, the front two rows are a dangerous place to be. And I looked right at him, and he's smiling. 
And then at the end of service, someone saw him in the bathroom just wiping stuff off of him. And I saw him come out and I said, I told you at least 10 times. Some people don't listen. We call them Silas. Okay, let's pray. And then we're going to read. Father, we are here to study your word. Um, it's a weighty and a heavy thing that we get to step into an eternal book, that we get to hear your word, your will, your knowledge and wisdom for our lives, that you would preserve these things for us is remarkable to me. Lord, we're about to jump into another year. Um, and these last two years have been years of so much uncertainty and there's fear and there's anger and there's division. But Lord, in your, in your will and your salvation and your family, you can break down barriers and division you can give us eyes to discern the truth of this world, that we, we, your kids, we're not here to fight against flesh and blood. We're fighting against cosmic powers and evil and authorities in the heavenly realms. We're fighting against many things that we do not see. So give us that wisdom this morning as we read from your letter of 1 John to the church. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. amen. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Okay, we're going to stop right here. How many of you in school loved taking tests? I know there's at least a couple in every room. Okay, so like, you, homework or tests? Who's choosing tests? Okay. Some of you in here are those absolutely, in school you were the ones that annoyed the majority of us because you could step into a test without studying maybe 45 seconds before the test and you get an A+. Plus. Who's that person so we could all dislike you together? Yes. We all collectively, did you hear all those moans and groans? Ah! We don't like it. This is something that we sorely need in the church today, though. Just this first section, beloved. So he wants you to know right out of the gates, and John mentions this over and over, beloved, dear children, little brothers and sisters. He has this relationship with these people that can tell them hard things and call them out on things and also to admonish them. One of the things that I love doing as a parent um, and as a pastor is to warn people. You warn people, don't, don't go down this path. It's going to end badly. And then if they go down the path, to have the wisdom and the kindness to not be the person that says, I told you so. So when one of you sees my son after service in the tippy tops of the trees, you can say, get down, Silas, or you're going to fall and break something again. One of the Fort Day veterans back there was already plotting how they were going to build tunnels in between the rooms, and, and they were telling the story about last year, how they grabbed one of my kids by the ankles and just dragged him reverse through a tunnel. And he said, it was one of my greatest memories. See, the, the thing about where the church is now and where humanity is now is that we have information overload. We have so much information coming from so many different directions 
that we, we've almost put this idea of testing the spirits. We've almost put this idea of discerning right from wrong just on the back burner. We don't, we don't need to do it. We just kind of find things that support what we already believe, and we say, this must be true because I already believed it. And this is dangerous in the church. It's dangerous for a couple of reasons, but one of which is this. If you read the Bible and you find the Bible never challenging your mind or your heart, never challenging the way that you think or the way that you feel and emote or the way that you act, if you're reading this book and you can walk away and say, yeah, I pretty much got this down, you're not letting the Bible have an authoritative position over you. You have become the authority over the Bible. It's why we get coffee mugs with just the verses that we like. And the verses that we like are usually not the unflattering ones. If I were to ask a random person, and this happens more often than not, and it may be by virtue of my job or my personality, but when I'm talking to someone about spiritual matters, whether it's in a restaurant, a bar, a pub, a hotel, walking along the way, wherever it is, and the, the subject of dying comes up in heaven and hell, and you say, well, why do you believe you would go to heaven? Nine out of ten, I'm a pretty what type of person? Good person. As a matter of fact, I, I think that there are people in here who would generally describe themselves as, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good person. So people don't like the fact that one of my life verses is, none are good, not even one. Your throat is an empty grave. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That puts a little bit of a damper on a, on a high opinion of ourself. And the thing is, is that the church has such a weird track record because we've told people they were bad for so long, but we didn't give them as much hope as perhaps they needed. Because this has been the message and still is the message and one of the most dangerous messages in churches today, that you are bad and you must become better so that God will love you. And you may think, ah, I've never heard that in a church. I promise you, it comes across in slippery and sly ways. When churches primarily focus on what we ought to do and not what Jesus did for us, we're stepping into that. You're bad. You bad, bad person. Be good so that God will love you. Even saying that might twist some of you the wrong way, and you might think, but the Bible says so much about obeying and being good. Yes, it does. The Bible is under no delusion that knows we, we don't have this ability to fight for moral goodness in ourselves. Paul the Apostle himself says, I know what I should do, and I can't do it. And I know what I shouldn't do, and I keep on doing it. There's a spirit of the church. There are spirits of the world, and they're teaching us different messages. Something I've said often that I think we don't pay enough attention to are the sermons that we all listen to. I don't know if you know this or not, but every one of us in here, we're sermon addicts, every single one of us. We love sermons. Some of your sermons come from podcasts. Some of your sermons come from Sunday mornings. Some of your sermons come from things like the Squid Games or Desperate Housewives. It's the current sermon my wife and I are listening to. Seinfeld, The Office. As a matter of fact, The Office, that's almost a religion. We all have that one friend who quotes The Office like it's the 67th book of the Bible. We all have that one friend, right? Well, in the office, uh, Jim whatever said, blah, 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 blah. I've never watched uh, The Office, so I don't know what all the hype is about. 
but I can quote Star Trek. Star Trek is, is my Book of Mormon. That's the extra holy book in my life. And Captain Picard is the greatest captain of all the Star Trek captains. <laughs> and purple lightsabers are the greatest lightsabers of all the lightsabers. Do we want to fight over this? I'm feeling, I'm wearing flip-flops, so I'm ready for action today. Okay. But how do we test the spirits? That's the question. John gives us a, a, a small litmus test. A litmus is a, a little science test where you dip it in to see if something is more acidic or base. So it's a little test. He says, test the spirits. If you hear something, test what you're hearing. Because if we're not testing what we're hearing, if we're not saying, does this point me to Jesus or does this point me to myself, even within the church? Because within the church, we can run the great danger of having everything be about us, and we put a veneer of Jesus-y words and vocabulary around it. The Bible is not about us, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. He is the main character. He is the one to whom the Old Testament points and the New Testament educates us about and tells us about. The Bible is not a book to help you become the most moral, amazing, incredible person. The Bible is a book to point you to that person who is Jesus who died on your behalf. Now we need to test the spirits in the church. When you hear a sermon, when you watch a show, one of my favorite games used to be preaching the gospel to the television show that I was watching. I would think, how would I share the gospel with Kramer in this episode? How would I share the gospel with Jean-Luc Picard in this episode? And I would ask questions. What, what's the thing they're complaining about? If you want to know how to share the gospel, it's very easy. Listen to what someone complains about. That's their big problem. That's the picture of hell that they've adopted into their life. And look to what they are thinking will be the solution. So we can take a very um, apparent one to all of us. There are many issues in our lives that bother us. And you'll hear people complain about them. You can read their Facebook posts. You can listen to them in conversation. They'll say things like, the inflation is too high. The price of this is too high. I can't believe gas is this price. And then their solution is, we need to elect somebody different. Or, or we like where this is going. We don't want to elect anyone different. Whatever your worldview is, we all have these mini hells and these mini saviors that we set up. A savior is anything you look to to deliver you from something that's painful in your life. So you listen to what people complain about. And you listen to what they think will get them rescued out of this problem. And then you could find a way in where you could say, no, the, the bad news is even worse than $3 a gallon. And I think it's comedy because I've lived in California, Hawaii, and here. $3 a gallon, I would have stolen kidneys for when I lived in Hawaii. Try $5 a gallon in a 40-gallon tank of gas. Like where you have to go in back in the day, you'd have to fill up, put it back away, re-swipe your card because there was a $75 limit. So $3, everyone's like, ah, oh, $3. And here's how I know I've become a Floridian. A, I'm complaining about $3 gas. B, I'm wearing a hoodie and it's like 70 degrees outside. I've acclimated to the wild, wild semi-south. But are we testing the spirits? Are we looking with discernment? Or have we forgotten discernment as a way of living? Do we only let things come into our mind that we already agree with? Or do we allow ourselves to be challenged? Do we allow ourselves to let the truth of what God has said come into our life and perhaps shake things up? Because this year, I'm sure some of you, if, if last year is any indication, the majority of the chapel family, and I don't know if this is true for Jesus Church, um, we just wrote off New Year's resolutions. I think it's like this cultural trend, like, no, I don't want to set up goals to improve my life. 
Because last year I remember asking, who's got resolutions? And it was sad. I was disappointed. Now just because Jesus loves you and died for you and saves you and does all the things that you need for spiritual life, health, love, and joy in him, doesn't mean you should just sit around. We should make a resolution to read the Bible. At least pretend you're going to read the Bible in a year until February 15th, okay? At least pretend. Like get through Genesis for the 75th time. Get through Exodus, and you're like, yeah, the first three chapters, that's the whole movie. The whole four-hour movie of Charlton Heston is literally like three chapters. The rest of that is weird ways and goats and bread falling. It's weird stuff. And then Leviticus, and then you tap out because you don't, you don't know the true Jesus. <laughs> Let's just be honest. That was sarcasm if you're new. Sorry, love you. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Here's how you test the spirits. It's not like a rocket science thing. It's if you don't know this book, when you listen to the other messages in this world, they will subtly, subtly, very subtly change your worldview piece by piece until one day this book will seem foreign and alien to you. Or you'll have to delete so much in this book that it will cease to be the Bible that God preserved for us. See, if you don't know this book, and this isn't a, if you read it over and over, you'll get like, I mean, know this book, love this book. And you might be thinking, I, I've tried to read the Bible every year. If, if you want to be able to test the spirits and you are not connected here with the word that God preserved for us, and we could go over, like people are like, well, why believe in the Bible and not the Quran or not the Book of Mormon or not all these other books, the, the, the Bhagavad Gita, all these things, these religious texts all over the world. We can have like another Sunday night series where we just drill into that. And we could talk about manuscript reliability. We could talk about translation because people will tell me all the time, well, the Bible is written by men and it's full of contradictions. And I'm just like, show me where, show me where. It's a, I've done this a thousand times, you guys, show me where. And I've told you guys, I've confessed, I know where they are because I know the book. I've never had a single person be like, well, got you. And they flip to them. And there's a couple in here. There's a couple where I like read it and I'm like, someone screwed this up. Like they were writing something and that number does not match that number. And that's the majority of them. Or there's like an and missing. Or there's a few places in your Bible where you'll, where you'll see in some manuscripts it doesn't have this part. Like that's how careful these people are. There's over 25 complete or partial manuscripts of the New Testament in different forms and variants. 25,000, over 25,000, and people doubt its historicity. There's less than seven of the accounts of Julius Caesar, and people are like, well, this is exactly what must be true. You have seven scraps of paper, and it must be true, and 25,000 sitting next to it in the most read, most purchased, most shoplifted book in the history of the world. That's a fact, and I love it. And you're going to question this more, because this book says you're broken, you need a savior, and someone else is Lord. And that's where it really gets the hiccup. Someone else is Lord, and it's not you. It's Christ, and that's the ultimate test. Any spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he actually came. He actually lived in a body like us. It's from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus, and a confession wasn't just, ah, Jesus. A confession 
in, in this day and age was the, um, is the good news, the euangelion. And before Christ uh, and as Christ had come and the ministry of Paul was starting, the Roman Empire had the same thing. It was a euangelion. It was a good news, and it was Caesar is Lord. And that's what they would say. Caesar is Lord. And that was a greeting to proclaim that there is one Lord over their lives, and it's Caesar. And Jesus and his followers, they said, we're going to hijack this. Yeshua is Lord. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. He's the Caesar of Caesars. So in every city where they'd have these proclamations and these things carved in the city walls, Caesar is Lord, this upstart group says, oh, we got this. So why, that's why I've been, I saw on a bunch on social media, people were like, Christians don't even know that December 25th isn't Jesus' real birthday. They're taking it from the sun god Ra and all of these pagan festivals. And I was like, yeah, that's what we're darn good at. We take your pagan jacked upness and we make it Jesus centered. We do it with Christmas. We do it with Easter. Oestra is the goddess of fertility in the Saxon myths. That's why there's bunnies and eggs, which I don't like bunnies, eggs, or Santa Claus. But that's why those all exist. And then as Christians, we're like, oh, you think you got the monopoly on life? Jesus is life. Are you testing the spirits that are confessing Jesus is Lord? That's Romans 10.9. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. It's a very simple thing, this gospel of Christ. Amen. But are we testing everything against that? And are we trying to put more in our life that, that lifts us up to embrace that and live by that and lean on that truth more? Or is what we're doing here a religious board of shuffling external appearances so that other people accept us? I, I love the fun conversations we get to have in the tech, tech booth. One of my dear friends, he's here somewhere, he said this morning, and you guys all know what this means in a conversation. I just got to be honest. Whenever someone says that, it's one of my favorite things. Because whatever's coming out of their mouth next is going to be hilarious to me and offensive to someone. It's like when someone tells you, I'm just going to speak the truth to you in love. And pure, vile hatred comes out of their mouth following every single time. It's the Christian maneuver when we want to jab somebody with a word dagger. Brother, I'm going to speak the truth to you in love. Sometimes I just want to say, just love me from afar. Now, this thing about speaking the truth is that some of us know people that need to hear a little bit of truth, and, and we don't have the, if, you, if you're not calling someone a beloved, you may not have the relationship collateral to speak truth into their life in any meaningful way. See, notice that John has this relationship. If you walk up to me, and we don't have much of a relationship, and you say, ah, oh, I saw you doing this, I heard you doing that, and I have to say, what's your name again? Do you think I'm going to take that well? Like, I might try my darndest because I do love Jesus and I do want to grow and I do want to live for him. Not because I believe it earns his love for me, but because he loved me so freely. I want to freely press into him. You know who it's easier to take criticism from? Not initially, but over a 24-hour period. is someone who has invested in you and you've invested in them. Someone who you can call beloved and they can call beloved. This is why... Husbands and wives are such a gift from God. This is why children with no filter under the age of six are a gift from God. They will just tell you what it is. There's a booger on your face. A spiritual booger just sitting right there. And they don't care. They'll say, you're being mean. 
And it's the most pure, just unfiltered, Krispy Kreme level of kindness. Because they're not trying to hurt you. They're just telling you, I see this. But then as adults, we become cultured, which is good in some ways and terrible in others. Because if you go to church too long, you get this disease called Christianity. And it makes us pretend. And even more terrifying than that, we pretend for so long that we're okay and that we're good. We keep people at a distance so that nobody can even see the real struggles that we have going on. It's this religious version of Christianity and not a you are freed by Jesus version that can create the two-faced mask-wearing habits that we have. It becomes hard to test the spirits when you're always fine. Watch. How are you doing today, Dave? Fine. He's fine. Bree, how are you doing today? Tired. Tired. Now, see, just speaking the truth and love to you. You look tired. No, I'm just kidding. You don't look tired. You're, you're very, you're put together well. We've done this. But see what I could have done there? See that interaction? Whereas Dave's fine. It stands for freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Uh, that's Dave. Love you. I just wanted to speak the truth and love to you. You know, I just got to be honest here. In Christianity, we've got this disease that we have this front that we put up and it prevents us from, from testing the spirit in ourselves and in others. The, the best news that I could give anyone for Christmas is the same news I say over and over and over again. I've had people leave the church because they just got tired of it. They're like, are you going to stop telling me that I'm an awful, terrible human and that Jesus loves me? No, it's my only job. It's one bullet. It's the only bullet in my gun. You are a terrible person. You are a wretch. And by some miracle of eternal love, God sent Jesus, the perfect son of, of all things, no sin, no failures, God in the flesh, to die for you, you pile of swamp water. And he sees something so amazing in you that he died for you and for me, and it's free. Like when you mess up, he still loves you. When you succeed, he still loves you. If you make it past Leviticus this February, he still loves you. If you fail on the Bible reading plan for the 17th time, he still loves you less than me. He will continue to love you. That was a joke, if you're new. Little children, verse 4. You are from God and have overcome these antichrists. What's scary about this passage, sorry, I need to back up. This, the people that don't confess Jesus as Lord, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now, is in the world already. The Antichrist is here. The Antichrist is already existing. The spirit of the Antichrist, maybe not the one that you've read about in all of the, the Kirk Cameron movies, but people who are against Jesus, the spirit that is against Jesus is here and will flow as it has in all of biblical history, where there will be a rising up of evil and people who choose right and wrong for themselves, and then there will be a redemption, and the cycle will begin and go until finally there is the one last moment where the ultimate evil rises, the ultimate antichrist assumes some position of power and authority. And John is saying, look, the spirit, the, many have come, and the spirit is here. I need you to understand, little children, you who are from God, you have overcome them. If you're from God, if you're saved from God, you do not have to give into the spirit of the Antichrist that is in this world. And when I say spirit of the Antichrist, don't think horns, red, pitchfork, tail thing. Things that are anti-Jesus in your life 
which include sin, addictions, anxiety, depressions, brokenness, affairs, tax evasion. I know that's coming up. Whatever your thing is. It doesn't matter if, if I or another pastor green lights something. I've had many people over the years like ask me to approve of a moral, moral thing that they were doing because they thought if I approved of it, then it would be okay for them. I, don't, I couldn't tell you how many people, half a dozen people have come to me and said, okay, God told me that I am supposed to divorce my spouse. And the answer I gave, they did not like. No. No, God told me that, Pastor. I said, no, he didn't. How do you know? Because it's in here. I'm going to trust this word that's been read, preserved, scrutinized, torn apart, analyzed for thousands of years more than I'm going to trust your word, you who got a C in freshman biology. I don't say that unless I'm speaking the truth in love. Because God said it here, but here's the good news. I'm not abrasive. I tell them, I know that God wouldn't say that because he's already said something else here, but I know divorce happens, and I know life stinks, and I know life hurts sometimes. But I want you to know that God hardwired the world to work a certain way. And he says, here's why I've hardwired it. If you go this way that I've made it, the whole book of Proverbs is like the, the gem of this. Here's how God hardwired the world. And if you operate in God's principles, life will generally go better. It doesn't always work out, but generally it's good. If you save, if you don't stare at other people's spouses, if you don't abuse your kids or scream at them, or if you kids don't make your dads get angry. Like these are good things. But if we make them law, like, if you don't do that, God doesn't love you. That's not what the Bible's talking about in the book of Proverbs. And this is why it's so important to know the Bible. We need to, we need to be able to know and test and see these anti-Jesus things. Things that rob your affection for Jesus are anti-Jesus things. Not just sin things. And, and this, this, this season, it's such a test on my heart. My wife got the kids a, a new Christmas present. So my wife and I had this agreement, okay? She's like, we're not doing presents except for the one. Like, she gets a present, I get a present. There's one present, and, uh, and I didn't get my present yet. And two days before Christmas, I leaned over to her in bed for a little pillow talk time after we finished gossiping. And I said, uh, I said, hey, babe, you legit didn't get me anything for Christmas, right? And she's like, just straight-faced, bold-faced, dirty, dark tar, sin-faced lie. No. Why would I do that? Now, it's not technically a lie, and here's how she got away with it. See? That's what she says. I grew up skateboarding. I have an affinity for skateboarding. I have an electric skateboard, which I haven't been riding because there's a problem with getting replacement wheels, and I'm scared to, like, if I mess up my wheels and my board, then I can't get new wheels, and I'm going to tear down the whole board and rebuild a new one with my parts. So I've been looking at this thing. I've been eyeballing it. I've been loving it. I've been coveting it for over a year. It's called the One Wheel. It's a big rubber wheel with the platforms. Works like a Segway. And here's how I know that she got it somewhere in her deceptive little heart for me. When the boys were opening it, she was filming who? Me. It wasn't for you. And then she goes, look at this video. I knew it was going to be good because I'm like just there being a dad at Christmas. Ha, ha, ha. Present. Ha, ha, ha. And they're opening one. And Amy gets the camera. I was like, oh, this must be the big one that I paid for and didn't know about. Ha, ha, ha. And then it opens it and I see one wheel. And I go, <gasps> And my mom next to me goes, <gasps> And Amy behind the camera goes, <gasps> And then she mocks me in a service. I goes, not for you. 
My kids are never seeing that thing. It's mine. My precious. Here's where I'm going with this. Test, test your heart. You know, when's the last time I got that excited about anything Jesus-related? I suck. And so do you. And it's a miracle that Jesus loves us. Well, Ryan, do I have to get that excited about Jesus? Here's the amazing thing about the Bible. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. Romans chapter 1 through Romans 7 is this theological masterpiece talking about how we are wretched, how we exchange good for evil and evil for good, and how God sent Jesus through this stream of history where God shows up and he's saying, I'm coming, I'm sending something, I'm sending someone, it's going to be this amazing redemption, I'm going to take my kingdom that was supposed to be on earth and, and got messed up by sin and I'm going to reestablish it through Jesus and he's going to bring love and healing and wholeness and truth in a way that no one ever has or will and he's going to come down in flesh, and this is how you get saved. You believe in him, you put your faith and trust in that he did everything. Not one ounce is up to you. You bring nothing, he brings everything, and you get to say, I am a beloved, saved child of God. And then Romans 7 says, you're going to know what to do and mess up, and you're going to know what not to do, and you're going to keep doing it. You're going to say, don't lust, don't steal, don't do this, and you're going to find yourself repeating these things over and over. If you're a Christian who's been a Christian less than four years, you've gone through this cycle where you bang your fist on a wall and you say, God, I promise I'll never do it again. And then what happens three days later? You do it again. Because if you're playing that game of banging on walls and trying to promise God, you need to stop banging on the wall and remember that God gave you all that you need in Jesus. You don't need to beat yourself up like we are so prone to do. If you beat yourself up for every wicked thing that you do, then you're forgetting that Jesus was beat up enough for you. And I say this over and over. People say, I just feel so bad. And I say, look, you should feel bad. You're done messed up. Jesus still loves you. So let's get back up. I'm here with you. We're going to keep reading the Viticus, even though it's December. So there's a lot of Christian humor today. If you're, like a, if you're new to the church, you're like, what is this Leviticus book? Why is it so funny? Because it's a, it's a third book of the Bible, so you read it pretty early on if you're doing the Bible in a year. And it's, it's, you could also label it 101 Ways to Kill a Goat and Dress Like a Pimp. Okay, that's what it is. Um, it's like, wear gold, kill a goat. Wear gold, slice a goat. It's the weirdest book, and it's so beautiful. One of my favorites in the Bible. We'll do it one day for a year. Um, We'll just, we'll just do a whole sermon series on it because it's beautiful. It points to Jesus in ways that, that we don't, we've forgotten about. Sorry, back. Children to God, God in you and God through you and God through Jesus, you've overcome the Antichrist. You don't have to give in to the temptation of one wheels. You don't have to swear off one wheels. God doesn't call us to be monks. God doesn't call us to be absent of joy but to give him the credit. And to say thank you and be grateful. If you start any new habit that you don't have, if, you wanna, if you're like, okay, maybe I should do a resolution, do this. Before your feet hit the bed every morning, pick a number that works for you of things that you're grateful to God for and just tell him that. If that's where you start, I'd be so happy. The reason give thanks appears in the Bible so often is because God knows that it tunes our heart to sing his praise. We're thankful. What are you thankful for? Like, I'm going to be thankful for the one wheel. I'm going to be thankful that I'm never letting Charlie get on the one wheel ever. I said that only because he popped in the back door right then. I'm going to be thankful that my wife and I, we've been married for like, how long has it been? I don't want to get in trouble. You're in trouble. 
14 years and I still really, really like her. Like, I like her after 14 years. As a matter of fact, the roughest patch we had was just when kids were so small that we kind of just forgot that we were alive because we were barely. And then we came through the end of all those diaper massacres and, and I looked at her and just said, I think it's pretty cool. Like, I still want to cuddle with you sometimes. Just the, the sometimes is because at night her feet turn into these Antarctic torture devices. And she finds her way to the furnace of warmth that the Lord instilled within me because my heart is warm and her heart is, well, if you have cold extremities, it's, do the math, people. I'm just speaking the truth to my wife in love where I can't get in trouble. But see, the, Jesus doesn't want us to just be monks where we sit there and white knuckle and don't look at anything, don't do anything. And I need to be honest, there are things that we probably should not do. Like at some point, we have to really reconcile our faith with the addiction we have to these. And by we, I'm, I'm saying we, but I just mean me. I got an iPhone now, I've had one for two years. I was an Android person forever, I was towing the line. And, uh, and now that I have an Apple device and an Apple watch, um, I know that this is a religion. Because like right now, I don't know why this is on Sundays, but every Sunday I get this thing called a weekly report of where I spent my time. And I'm gonna tap on it and I'm gonna just be ashamed. Okay, let's see where Pastor Ryan spent his time this week. Daily average, idolatry. Most popular app, idolatry. You guys, I spend so much time on TikTok and YouTube. But my daily average is 83% down from last week because I knew I had to preach this sermon. <laughs> and I wanted to appear holier. So my number two app is the Bible because I'm better. My number five app is the clock because I hit the snooze button. Does it give your heart joy? Are you doing things that stir up your heart for joy? It's going to be different. And I've shared what works for me, but what works for me will not work for you. Um, on January 1st or 2nd, one of those two, I'm going to drive to a cemetery and just walk through it. It's my favorite thing to do, to remind myself that I'm going to die. I remind people in my life, often, they're going to die. I do it in loving ways um, with my father-in-law. About five years ago, I started calling dibs on things. I said, Charlie, I got dibs on that when you're gone, right? You go be with Jesus, I get this. So I got his car and some of his old cameras. Uh, at this point, I've got about 90% of his belongings, and I'm his second favorite child, even though I'm not biologically his. I just married in. But Amy's the favorite, I'm the second favorite. He always wanted his kids to be in ministry, and then when Amy married me, he looked at me with new doughy love eyes. So I just called dibs on all the things. And every time he gets in a car accident, which is not infrequent, I ask him, like, are you getting this repaired or not? I'm asking for an inheritance. Like, do I need to dib something else in this world? I'm going to walk through a cemetery and remind myself that we all die because it makes me love Jesus more. It makes me look at my kids and know the brevity of time, knowing that I had 936 weeks from the day they were born to the day they turned 18. And for, for two of my kids, they're past the halfway point. The number of weeks that I have left with them is shorter than the number of weeks that I've spent with them. And the terrifying truth is that um, well over 80% of the time that you'll ever see your children is spent with them from the time they're born to their 18, depending on which kind of kids you have, the wanderlust, travel away, the world. But it's terrifying to think about the majority of the time I'll ever spend with two of my kids is more than halfway over. 
And you're like, why would you just make yourself so sad? Death, thinking about your kids leaving, which is somewhat joyful. Because it reminds me that the treasures that I'm trying to store up here, the one wheels, the skateboards, the retirement plans, the crypto trading, the house that we're building, these things are dust in less than 50 years. In 150 years, no one remembers the majority of our names. And if they do, it's just because we did something dumb enough or smart enough to be in some history book. But nobody cares anymore in 150 years. But Jesus' love that was planned for you before the foundation of the world was laid, according to Ephesians 1, Jesus' love that got your name written in the book of life. In uh, Revelation 13, it tells us every name of those who will be in the family was written in the book of the, li uh, the, book of the Lamb before the world was started. And it's not up to you, it's up to him. So all we do is receive, be grateful, love God, love our neighbors, mess up, remember we're loved, love God, love our neighbors, have some life-wrecking sin, repent to Jesus, love God, love our neighbors. Test the spirits in your life to see which ones are stealing affection from Jesus and which ones are promoting affection for Jesus. Cemeteries, promote it in me. Christmas morning, Unfortunately, Rob's affection for me because I think about the stuff. I'm just a little kid. Anything with a battery and wiring and a computer chip, I'm like, <laughs> right now, Fort Day, those kids are back there building forts. Is it for Jesus? We're going to lie and tell them a Bible story so that it sounds like Christianity. Well, kids, the walls of Jericho, go around them seven times. You know what they'd be hearing right now? They're having so much fun. They just want to crawl through a box and hit their sister and not get in trouble. Gosh, this sermon is really for me today. These spirits aren't from the world, therefore they speak from the world. The world listens to the spirits that are anti-Jesus. The world loves the music and the movies and the shows that are anti-Jesus. We, however, are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, those who read the Bible, love the Bible, embrace the Bible. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Discern this year. Set yourself up at least to fail miserably. Don't go into the new year and say, I don't need a resolution. I've tried and failed a hundred times. Good. Make this year 101 failures. At least we're trying because we're loved. At least we're pressing in 